Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcasts, a show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can catch me snicting along over on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. It's another Marvel Fanfare Friday here on X, and I couldn't be more excited than to bring you the coverage. It's kind of like Devil's Rainish, but it's all kind of like not a little bit Devil's Rainish, but it's kind of like Devil's Rainish, you know what I mean? So we're going to be taking a look at Devil's Rain Moon Knight, which shipped out of order. So the team definitely makes accounting for that and their discussion, and even help us to understand better how it fits into the run. From there, we're going to take a look at sort of the comparative worlds of the new run of Punisher versus the new run of Ghost Rider and all of the ways in which their previous issues, their canons, and their sort of like comicologies tell us so much about these bold new directions. But first up, that amazing coverage of Devil's Rain Moon Knight. I couldn't be more excited to bring this to you guys. And if you like what you hear, you might even like what you see. So as you're enjoying this next segment, don't forget to give us a follow over on Twitter at X is for Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to another exciting segment of X's for Podcast, where we talk about mutants, marvels, and magic week after week. I'm Nathan, you can find me on Twitter at Dazzler AOA, that's like Dazzler in the Age of Apocalypse. Hello, it's me, Steve, and you can find me on Twitter at HowdyDuda, that's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A. And I'm Raven, a.k.a. Dame Red Thread. Come over and find me on the Twitters and possibly the Instagrams. Eh, start a conversation. Yeah, you start a conversation with Raven, you won't regret it, and hopefully we all survive the experience, unlike maybe Man Mountain Marco, although I think he survived, but like his pride definitely did not in this issue. <laughs> or, or his eyesight. Or his eyesight. keep your eyes out kids he'll never see his wife or daughter again (laughs) so we are thrown just straight into the devil's reign event we've got mark specter is been imprisoned for being a superhero in new york city which is against (laughs) wilson fisk's main directive so like i don't know where y'all are in in reading devil's reign but like what was it like to be thrown into this event especially if you're not keeping up with the devil's reign event and we're able to pretty much figure out what's going on or you know where are you all at it with this well thank goodness they wrote a synopsis up top so i could follow (laughs) (laughs) i uh i felt like it wasn't too difficult just because like we've we personally everybody in this room and maybe our readers have already read the previous three issues of moon knight where they were like all right he's off in prison while we're doing this issue and next issue he's like i just was in prison prison was so bad it was bad for me i'm like all right this is the prison and it is bad for him (laughs) it is really really bad for him who is it not bad for yes i do like how this issue just try to touch upon and and it's not not too in depth but it does try to touch upon some of the problems and dangers of being in prison and what it does to people you know how did y'all feel with actually seeing that be addressed in a mainstream comic book that Marvel is pushing this character more and more. You know, Jed McKay is 
trying to bring some of that to our attention. Obviously, it's it's not super in-depth and it doesn't go into everything we could. But we're seeing that a lot with Moon Knight and even the Sabretooth series that we have going on by Victor Laval is all really trying to start a conversation among comics fans about some of the dangers of the prison system. Yeah, I think that Sabretooth goes into it with somewhat more nuance and forethought. I mean, it's a book that is designed to be about carceralism, whereas, you know, this is kind of like a detour for the Moon Knight series in a lot of ways. But this is maybe not something that's surprising to people to find, and it definitely shouldn't be, but it is something that always needs to be said, which is that the people who already have mental illness or debilitating conditions have a much worse time of it in prison and can often mm-hmm. backslide without access to the help that they need or the rehabilitation that they desire, then, you know, it, it just takes us to a darker place and makes us worse people in general. And that's the same for Moon Knight as it is for anybody else in prison. Mm-hmm. Quite often, mental illness is either not talked about or is not given any sort of deference or treatment in prisons. You know, prison is just there as a way to make money quite often. And the health and especially the mental health of prisoners is not even a thought. The fact that we see somebody put into solitary confinement, especially somebody who has very well-known mental health issues thrown into solitary confinement. Yeah, solitary confinement is a form of torture. And even after three days, there can be some massive psychological damage. Depending on how long they're putting him in for, they could literally be making his mental illness even worse because he's going to be in there alone, unable to move with only his thoughts. I think it's important to name specific mental illnesses that we're talking about since, you know, there's a wide variety and they need different kinds of treatment or care or societal responses and not they can't all be lumped together in the same category. What's interesting to me here yes. is that in this issue, we don't really see Mark's DID, his dissociative identity disorder, mm-hmm. but a much more, I think, relatable to most readers kind of mental illness, which is his just kind of like rabid anger and self-hatred and his natural predisposition to violence, his natural disposition as like as a person, not because mm-hmm. of his illness, but because of his career and the way he was raised and the way he's lived his life. The only nod we really see here to his DID maybe is his comfort doing violence behind the mask as opposed to with his face bared, um, although that's something that's true of any superhero. There's stuff in here that well, I no, don't really want but... to see again, like the moons carved mm-hmm. into people's faces mm-hmm. or Moon Knight calling himself a wild dog, which I, I thought was kind of in poor taste in past runs. But it's nice that here it only exists as an expression of like his having a bad time in prison really like it's something that has made the worst parts of him come out and he recognizes them as the worst parts but also we see that moon knight has chosen to be here this is actually a mission for him he actually does kind of make note after he's beaten up a lot of people it's like oh yeah of course i mean i've got captain america in here i've got everybody in here like he alludes to the fact that he's not the only one in his head he is very 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 specifically focused on what this prison is doing to him as far as 
his anger and rage goes. Because instead of trying to fight the anger or fight the rage and fight that, that very much uh, hammered into him compulsion to use violence as a means to get a message across. Like, yeah, he's like, um, yeah, this might not have been my best idea because this, this in prison you have to survive. So literally my, my entire mission is going to be fueled by and forwarded by severe acts of violence because the guards have a fight ring going on and the only way to get to his end goal is to participate in massive amounts of violence which is something he actually revels in so it just feeds the aggression and feeds the very destructive side so i understood why he started calling himself a wild dog again and and like he just repeatedly says you know this is this is bad this is really bad for me i've made so much progress but being in here means i gotta slide all the way back to a very ugly place and time in my life and that's the only way i'm getting through this now we've talked about obviously jim mckay is our writer for the story i want to take a little moment to pivot to the art in this tale so our artist is Federico Zappatini. Our color artist is Lee Lawfridge. Our letterer is VC's Corey Petit. So I think for this issue, obviously it's not part of the Moon Knight series as a whole, as a main. But I think having a different color artist on this really set the tone for the different setting that we are in for this. I think mm-hmm. as much as I absolutely love Rochelle Rosenberg's colors, I think her colors mm-hmm. are a lot more, you know, deep and dark and noir and i think they wouldn't have fit in with the overly sanitized overly bright setting of the mm-hmm. prison i like seeing federico sabatini back on the series because he was our fill-in artist on one issue of moon knight and that provides us with a sort of continuity over here to this this little one-shot tie-in to the devil's reign so it's nice to see an artist that we've seen previously on moon knight do this again oh yeah absolutely i really do enjoy the fact that they changed their artist and their color artist because this is not necessarily moon knight as you know the hero out on the streets you're not necessarily seeing the narrative from his very altered sense of perception of himself mm. where he's like i am the fist of conchu gorgeous you know soft colors washing into you know portent and meaning this is this is clean this is sanitized this is you know the structure of the inside of a prison therefore everything is you know a bit more flat you know there's no there's no moon coming out over you as you glide across the rooftops kind of thing going on here it's just prison welcome to prison it's going to be you know this color is your uniform this color is your walls yeah reflective surfaces of rosenberg's work yeah mm-hmm. but and they and and they still take the time to occasionally put harken backs to rochelle rosenberg's style when he meets up with those the gangsters who he'd carved the uh, moons into their foreheads. Like you see his face go black and his eyes kind of glow yeah. like the Moon Knight eyes that you would see from Rochelle. And yeah, just, oh, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. They didn't forget where they came from, but you could tell that it was like, yeah, this is a wildly different setting. I love the grime. There's like lots of, and I don't know if this is down to the colorist or if this is inking by Federico Sabatini. It's probably inking, but there's like black dots on 
every page. Oh, yeah. Griming up the walls, griming up the air, the floor, the outfits. Like, it Mm -hmm. feels dirty in this prison. There's just, like, always something speckled on every surface. Nothing is clean or reflective. There's a lot of that going on. I thought that was really cool. Probably my favorite panel in this entire thing is just that full page, which we always get, like, a cool full page in Moon Knight, but it's the one where he (laughs) breathes his breath on the glass of his prison cell and uses his fingers to do the moon and the eye holes and stands behind it and says like you know you don't you don't see what everyone's so scared of do you see it now that was awesome. with his like anime protagonist hair yes oh my god right Extreme <laughs> and if you're looking at that page page 18 of digital on that but yeah holy hell like mark specter's hair in this issue I'm here for it. Yeah, gray, shaggy bedhead. He, to- he totally looks like an amazing anime protagonist in this. And I kind of just want to like see him go around with his hair down a lot more often. <laughs> well, that's the funny thing, though, is he does go around with his hair down in other versions of Moon Knight when we see him without his mask. Up. But the hair always looks so greasy. <laughs> and just, like, oh, you know, it just looks so gross. But this actually looks like stylish and, and you know has edge and cut to it and it really gets part of his character across that he's not just you know greasy sweaty mark specter who's you know beating up all bad guys and he's sitting on a rooftop with tigra you know talking over feelings and whatnot and trying to not to like lower the gdp of oil just he's always so greasy he's honestly just like one pink stripe away from being seen hair right here <laughs> <laughs> I think it helps to harken back to the fact that he feels like a totally different person in prison and he's going back to some of his old days, maybe when physically he looked a little bit more put together, but he, he was ignoring everything. I think I think in the series proper, he out of mask looks a little bit like Robert Pattinson as Bruce Wayne in the Batman. <laughs> he's pretty put together and like as Bruce Wayne in that movie. <laughs> still hot but he looks a little bit like shit He's, yeah he looks like complete hammered shit all yeah. the time like hasn't slept in three weeks hasn't showered in a long long time just real grimy yeah i love it i i like that he in this issue specifically like he doesn't do the the daredevil thing you know how daredevil just wears his mask in prison all the time uh, he doesn't do that he doesn't give a shit if people see his face he's like super comfortable with people seeing his face the only reason he puts on the mask is so that he can become moon knight right like that's yeah. he wears the mask so he can be the wild dog he could have done it without the mask and it's not a question of his secret identity it's a question of the the identity he puts on for violence yeah because as as mark specter yes he can do a certain amount of violence but you know that's not that's not the the mask and i i mean that in a psychological term that's not the mask that he uses to commit carving you know crescent moons into people's faces yeah. it's anonymity but not so that people can't find his aunt may it's anonymity so that he doesn't have to like look at himself in the mirror and be like this is my face this is the face Absolutely. that does these bad things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this series has done a Absolutely. lot of building that up yeah yes i love how Jed had them use the fact that like half of the criminals in there have the I mean like I hate I do hate seeing it but like have half of the criminals in there have the crescent moon carved into their head yeah that's interesting that reminded me a lot of a thing I really hate about Batman versus Superman the movie which is Batman mm-hmm. carving things into criminals so that they'll be killed in jail or whatever because like I mean that's like such an un-Batman thing but it's a very moon it's a very moon night thing yeah. and it's funny he gets there and he's like alright I already know who I I already know who I have to be hard on because I already made the decision about you. I think most of the criminals in there know him, but they like never knew his 
face. Well, like, I mean, it's only like three or four guys, five guys, six guys that he, uh, carved <laughs> crescent moons into. But I mean, like, a lot of other people have also had to tangle with him in there. He just knows that it's going to be much easier to use intimidation to move people the way he needs to if he goes after the people he terrorized the most. Yes. First. I, I think it was really fun that the POV character here is 8-Ball, because 8-Ball has not had a Moon Knight <laughs> moon carved into his head, but he knows who Moon Knight is, and it touched me when he started off with, like, I'm such a badass, I'm not some Jamoke, you know, I'm a supervillain, man, a real hitter, Sally, I'm 8-Ball. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, you fought, you fought and been defeated by every superhero on the block, yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You've been put in the corner pocket more times than Bill. Yeah, yeah, actually, he makes a bunch of like eight ball jokes in this. That I think oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, Wreck and Groove, what's up? Gotta see for all eight ball? <laughs> Oh, my God. I felt so bad for him when none of the supervillain gangs would want him to sit with <laughs> Eight ball coming in hot. Corner pocket. Ah, uh, come on. Well, if you got nothing but pool, you know, freaking entendres and jokes. So, it's tough to think of the build-up for our main action sequences in the story. Obviously, all of them really do serve well to highlight the corruption of the prison system in itself the situations that mark is thrown in obviously yes he had a master plan and he he angled it this way from the beginning but the situations that mark is thrown into are is all because of the prison guards themselves so yeah and their personal profits instead yeah. of betting on this uh illegal fight club in the prison yeah from getting attacked in the shower which was set up by the guard to the whole fight ring it's just uh it's you hate to see it but you know what goes on where were y'all mm -hmm. with this fact in itself i mean like obviously this is the 616 so of course there are legal fight clubs that the guards are running in the prisons like we've we've seen the inside of yeah. marble prisons and they're all like this but mm -hmm. i yeah i do appreciate taking the moment to note that like you know guards are guards and co's specifically are one of the worst parts of the prison system because they're the ones whose entire mm -hmm. job is making sure nobody gets away nobody gets out nobody has a good time and between news articles that we've seen over the years and exposés of guards allowing people to be beat taking advantage setting up people for being alone around enemies when it's convenient for the guards or when it's when it's a matter of retribution against a, a prisoner who will not just obey or comply you know this is thing that not to the super heroic degree but this is something that goes on in probably every for-profit prison and non-for-profit prison at least in the united states some people might be like oh no it's just they they sensationalized it for the comic book and i'm like sort of like they sensationalized it with the characters that they put in this this you know like standing hell in the cell type type prison cell wrestling area but i mean fights and showers for some sort of profit happen we should uh, <laughs> probably talk about man martin marco I, I think we have maybe not mentioned him yet <laughs> i feel so dumb with this one because i was honestly confused for a, a, a while because of the, the the last name marco we also had uh, that yes <laughs> we were like wait is this kane marco or is it Flint marco right? 
It's like, I'm not familiar with this Marco and like, you know, man, man, mountain Marco. I'm just like, is this Juggernaut? Like, this can't be Juggernaut. Because they're like, yeah, you even got his superpowers. I'm like, did they bring Juggernaut here? Man, mountain Marco is not Juggernaut, despite having similar powers and an almost identical build and hair. And And name. He is not related to Juggernaut, nor is he related to Flint Marco, the Sandman. Although I have been, oh. I've been under the impression that they were related, Flint Marco and Man Mountain Marco. We I, we had to look it up before this, and they are yeah. three unrelated men with yeah. the last name Marco, which is a name I've never come across in my wow. personal life. But I can imagine that Stanley in the Marvel offices are just very fond of that last name. That'd be funny. Marco is like the Smith of the 616. <laughs> yeah. It's gotta be. Just a lot of Hungarians. <laughs> a man, Mountain Marco, actually has a cousin, though, and his cousin's name is Man Mountain Mario. Because his oh, name so is Mario insane. Marco. Yeah. <laughs> Does he have a brother named Luigi? Like, what the fuck? Yes. Yes, the Luge Lord Le- Luigi. <laughs> <laughs> Now we're just trying to come up with alliterations. Yeah, so this is not the Juggernaut. This is not a man even related to the Juggernaut, but he might as well be the Juggernaut, except for the fact that he can be stopped. Yes. We find that Moon Knight has previously, before going to jail, met up with Judith Court, previously Judith Marco, who is concerned about what he will do to their daughter when he gets out, because she has been developing the same kind of powers as her father, and she would be useful to him. So the big reveal of this issue is that Moon Knight has actually gone to prison voluntarily specifically to get at man mountain marco for revenge which makes you wonder because man mountain marco is not a mutant because his powers were developed through genetic manipulation and Mm -hmm. you know enhanced in different ways throughout marvel whatever they do i think it's power broker something like that probably the power Power broker (laughs) (laughs) but so if his daughter though is developing her powers at about 12. Does that make her a mutant then? Possibly not, because if he's had genetic manipulation, if it happened before he fathered that daughter, might have been going into the relationship with altered DNA, and therefore that altered DNA got passed yeah. down. It's funny how that in the Marvel universe and in no other universe is makes her not a mutant, because it's like, obviously, mm-hmm. like what is a mutant besides altered DNA that is passed yeah. on? Right? If she doesn't have an X gene, no Krakoa. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Exactly. If they have black eyes, so, yeah, so she could be considered metahuman, but not mutant. I just wonder if, like, no, they've never referred to her as such, but I always wondered if Marina uh, from Alpha Flight is a mutant because yes. she is the only member of the Plodex race that is, you know, not wanting to kill everybody, yeah. <laughs> which is everybody else's mutation. But at least Mark went ahead and fixed that problem and made sure that man Mountain Marco is never going to see them again. Yep, literally. Yes, yeah. he uh, gouges his eyes out <laughs> in what is a clearly illegal move. This rough, this rough is garbage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now he is just a really tall nine vulnerable strong guy who can't see anything so so some man foothill marker (laughs) man molehill marker i did like moon knight saying like are you kidding me captain america could get out of here and he's just one guy and it's like yeah that's true but this prison is for supervillains and it's full of supervillains so it's like it's it's almost like mark is just like here being like hey listen they can't take all of us we could anytime we wanted we could all get out of here you're just kept in here because you're afraid and that's probably true oh no i thought he was referring to yeah cap could get out of here and he's just one person referring to his did as in yeah cap's just
just one person i got a ton of people in here like of course i could come to prison and or get out of prison as i wish i mean if one man can do it that's an interesting read i just figured he was being like captain america barely has powers and he could get out of here i you know reed richards is in here (laughs) well well reed richards is only still in there because reed richards is too much of a good guy to try to break out blah that sucks that's just like the beast in the x-men 92 animated series like fuck you beast i would have been if magneto showed up and broke my door down i'd be like i'm going with you let's go yeah (laughs) yeah and it's i mean like reed richards could get out of here and it doesn't even have to be because he's the smartest man in the world it's just because he can go under cracks of doors like he's a ferret (laughs) or 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 it's like in x-men gold when they had for some reason kate and storm get put in jail and you're like why what you're like what (laughs) yeah i i hate the idea that mr fantastic is only in prison because he's like too good to break out it's like wilson fisk put you here the thunderbolts are the cops this place is immoral and evil and it would have been even before fisk like come on well and i'm sorry but places like the ice box exist Mm -hmm. so you know that they have power dampening technology and i mean with that many fucking heroes and villains on one place i'm pretty sure the entire place is probably power dampened just in case yeah yeah. it's got a big field over it (laughs) or you know you know within the walls they they probably got you know multiple things set up so yeah like the the fact that you say oh yeah it's super easy to break in break out i mean come on reed richards you know get out anytime i'm like yeah no they probably it's a max security island prison they probably uh, got a few more safety measures in place than you think yeah well the 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 number of supervillain breakouts and the frequency of it maybe speaks to mark's uh, rightness in this one he's probably just mentioning like hey we know supervillain prisons don't work yeah i love the fact that he places his faith in getting taken along for a breakout in that that you know well they're gonna need a wild dog my dear boy you have drastically overestimated how much somebody's gonna want to take a a hyper violent mentally unstable psychotic Like, Mark, you've pissed off most of the people in here, if not Speaking all of them. Uh, mentally unstable, psychotic uh, vigilantes named Wild Dog, Does is, is he aware that's already <laughs> taken at DC? Like, <laughs> Mark, you're already getting compared to Batman and Daredevil. You don't need to also be compared to Wild Dog next. <laughs> Uh, if Batman and Daredevil had a kid with Wolverine, that would be Mark Spector. <laughs> Where's the Wolverine figure in? Because <laughs> it's just pure snickety snick rage. Ah, okay. <laughs> I do love this issue as I'm glad it was for series wise. I'm glad it was a standalone issue because it, it doesn't fit the tone of the series as a whole. The delays, though, in the issue made it a little tough when you were reading the last two issues of Moon Knight to try to figure out what's going on. You're like, what the hell? What the hell? What the hell? But now that this is all now that this has come out and it's in place, like, I think I think it was worth the wait for me. And I now I've got that more complete part of the series. And yes, this was able to tell a tale and jen mckay was able to switch the tale he told for this to still fit the theme of moon knight but still fit it in and around that prison setting where if it was a series issue itself i think it would have disrupted the actual flow of the series a lot more than just him being an ab- absent in an episode yeah I, I i definitely agree i i this helped to explain a couple of the gaps that i was having uh with the other moon knight issues but i am also glad that yeah this this, this was something slightly different it was like oh okay i understand how this fits back in the storyline now and i'm i'm 
kind of glad that this happened because then we actually got to see more of uh, Dr. Vader as uh, Hunter's Moon. Yes. We got to see a bit more um, from other characters and get some actual development from them because, hey, Mark was out of the out of the picture for a couple of episodes. So I'm like, yeah, I'm okay with this. And yeah, it also helps fill in some gaps that I was questioning. So I'm very happy that this happened, but I'm also glad that it happened as a separate event versus trying to like ram it into the normal story. Yeah, I'm so glad this wasn't just a tie-in issue of Moon Knight that got hijacked mm-hmm. by Devil's Reign. Yeah, absolutely right. Mm-hmm. I think it was handled extremely well, and it was really nice to like have a thing that needed to happen in the meantime, which is the, as you said, the development of Dr. Potter. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I, I did not know how much I needed that Dr. Potter issue, but now that we've gotten it, I'm like, holy shit. And I, I do love like like these last two issues of moon knight you know, eight eight and nine have been such like this tonal shift for the series like where it's really going into more of these abstract ideas and it's really striking up that need for like some marvel type vertigo stuff and I, that i never knew i needed and like it's still it's cool to see how jed can switch so easily from that mode back to just like standard street hero mode to like mystic mode like he's doing in strange to having black cat just be like the most dynamic character that she can ever be over in black cat so i I love seeing all these sides of jed as a writer Hey everybody, Nico here one more time, and I so fucking love these segments where we like take a look at like multiple books and sort of like build together a tapestry. Nathan and Steve did such an amazing job with vampires a couple weeks back, and I had the pleasure of doing it with TK covering some of the most amazing Electra stories to date. And TK and I are at it again, and we're taking a look at Punisher and Ghost Rider, their new number ones, sort of like where they started, where they're going, and we could not have had a better time doing it. And we love making this show for you guys three times a week, every week, and that's Magic Mondays, that's X-Men X Wednesdays, and Marvel Fanfare Fridays, though I can kind of promise you right off the bat, right now, Monday is going to be something Wolverine-ish. It's just got to go somewhere, guys. There's so much of it. Oh my God. But until then, enjoy this last segment. As always, I am Nico Action. You guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action at I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N and keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open. Remember, the Punisher's in charge of a death cult now. That can't go poorly. Enjoy this last segment and we'll see you. Hey everybody, welcome back to Exit for Podcast, a show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and revamped, hyper-gritty 90s characters, I guess? That makes me Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I'm TK, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at xnate, xgrayx. And we're here today to talk about, I guess, Punisher number one and Ghost Rider number one from 2022, but also kind of an abridged history of these characters, sort of kind of, in regard to these number ones. So TK, first things first, I I just want to put out there, I have a weird relationship with both of these characters, but I'd love to know your relationship with both of them, either of them. I mean, I would take your relationship with neither of them and just your understanding of their side characters if you have no love for them. It's that last one. Yeah, Nico, you have a strange relationship with every single character in the Marvel Universe, and I love that about you. It's why I love talking to you about this stuff. I, as a relatively 
misanthropic person do not have that relationship with regular people or comic book people. I choose them very carefully. I do not want to deal with anybody that I don't want to deal with. And Punisher and Ghost Rider are pretty high up on that list of people that I don't want to deal with. That said, having spent more time around you talking about comic books, I have these characters that come into my life that I have said I don't want anything to do with, but because I am talking to you about comics, they get into the places I did not want them. It started with Punisher in the Zdarsky Daredevil run in which his appearance at the start of the run is kind of important for setting the tone for the book and also became kind of important for my understanding of modern Punisher and I think is a very good prelude to what will come in the book that we're about to talk about. As far as Ghost Rider goes, really like zero interest. I mean, you know, again, I was a comics kid in the very late 80s, early 90s, was totally aware of Ghost Rider, had zero interest in a dude with a flaming skull head on a bike. Just nothing about that did it for me. You know, didn't care that there was a second one, was vaguely aware that they were brothers. None of that mattered to me. Robbie Reyes, I kind of knew a little more about because of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But again, like stuff with cars and bikes and engines and hell just is not, you know, that's for meatloaf songs and that's it for me. There's no other, I've got no other interest. But you did get me into Kushala and that is now where all of my understanding about Johnny Blaze comes from. I'm super into Kushala and so that is a relatively stable place for me to put my foot into the Ghost Rider universe. I love all of that because it makes me feel in a positive way kind of responsible instead of like I've thrust you into this world of frequently and unfortunately hyper-violent toxic masculinity and I so all right I grew up an edgy counterculture kid in the 90s so I read a lot of Preacher at like 12 years old and you know I knew stuff was wrong with it like you know it's not hard to open a Garth Ennis book and be like ah you feckin' idiot don't ever say that you know what I mean so I I knew to tread carefully but I, I think Tulip O'Hare is like one of the greatest characters in the history of fiction. And like, I just, I'll never get over like, I'll, I'll, if Jesse Custer really, uh, really imprinted on my romantic choices for the rest of my life. Uh, that, oh yes, my that tracks 100%. <laughs> so I love Garth Ennis and I really, really, really love Punisher Max. And as a result of loving Punisher Max, I also do enjoy well. Welcome back, Frank, and the following 37 issues. And I really resent Punisher. Like, he is representative of corruptive good, and like, I have no use for Frank Castle. I don't read Punisher because I enjoy seeing Punisher. I read Punisher because it reflects a really fascinating corner of the Marvel Universe, which is actually where, like, the Nathan Edmondson run lost me. Not that it wasn't very interesting, but I'm not super interested in Punisher out in L. LA, you know what I mean? Like I, I want my Punisher firmly grounded in Manhattan, right? So I read Punisher understanding it's a problem. And if you're asking me what my favorite arc of Punisher Max is, it's Fury Max, which is like the greatest thing Garth Ennis ever did in his career, right? So, okay, that out of the way, right? Because that's 
that's just got to be said. So following that, I want to point out that my relationship with Ghost Rider has been pretty well documented on this show. I've talked extensively about how Robbie Reyes really helped me to become so proud of my Latin heritage. And we've also talked about how I would, you know, trade any number of people I like for a dinner with Kushala. I'll just give him up. Never see him again. One dinner. She's in, you know. So if you do want to hear a little bit more about our Ghost Rider coverage, definitely check out episode 287, where we talk about Spirits of Vengeance Spirit Rider, as well as the Ghost Rider Kushala Infinity comic, which is eight issues that feels like 64. <laughs> it is enormous and worth every minute, but you worth every every panel. Listen, listen to us when we tell you do not think you're reading this in an hour on the subway. It is. Yeah, no, like I'm taking a look at like I keep trying to figure out how to cover Marvel Meow. It's like <laughs> I keep trying to figure out how to cover it. But it's like it's challengingly short, even by my standards of creating content. Or sometimes I'm like three minute segment. Sure. But I'm like Marvel Meow is like that's not even an ice cube on a hot day. I don't even know what to do with it. You know what I mean? So now, OK, one of my favorite little tidbits about Punisher is I always find it really easy to remember when Punisher debuted because Punisher appeared in the same number as Uncanny X-Men's white and black significant thing. Punisher, whose costume is black and white, and the Hellfire Club with their black queen and white queen and black king and white king both appeared in their respective 129s. Amazing Spider-Man 129 for Punisher and Uncanny X-Men 129 for the Hellfire Club. So it's actually always pretty easy for me to remember when Punisher first appeared because it's pretty hard to forget when Emma Frost first appeared. <laughs> That's some amazing Marvel numerology right there. Oh, it makes me so happy. And it's like the final issue of X-Force that becomes ecstatics is 129. Oh, there you go. Yeah, the whole thing is really spectacular, right? And so a little bit more context is that Punisher first appears all the way back in 1974, okay? Then it takes quite a while for Punisher to get his foothold in the Marvel Universe. But once he does, it is a punishing... Oh, I didn't even realize I was saying that. Oh, I'm so mad at myself. It is a punishing experience to try and look at all of the things that go into building Punisher's sort of bibliography of murder. You know, it's of note that Punisher's initial volume one is only five issues long, and it runs the beginning of 1986. I want to point out that the beginning of 1986 should be remembered as the peak pinnacle moment for all of comics ever. And I'm not just saying that because February 1986, when I came into being, hey, what's up? So the beginning of 1986 gave us Daredevil Born Again, which is in many in many Nico's minds, the most significant comic run of all time. So it's pretty interesting that Punisher Volume 1, the five-issue original limited series, ran parallel to that because what fucking happened next is the most absurd thing I have ever had to try. Like, so I normally organize these things into way too many complex spreadsheets. These things are nuts, right? And I couldn't even figure, I just made a big paragraph in a document because once 19... 1987 happens. It's as if Punisher was Marvel's way of printing money. Punisher Volume 2 would run from July of 1987 to July of 1995 at 104 issues. Within this fucking time frame, you would get Punisher War Journal 1 through 80 running November of 88 to July of 95, Punisher War Zone 1 through 41 running March of 92 through July of 1995. Man, July of 1995 just sounds like Punisher got executed across the board. Punisher Magazine 
magazine one through 16. What the hell? He needed a magazine from September of 1989 to November of 1990. How many fucking issues could you make of this guy? Punisher Armory one through 10 from July of 1990 through November of 1994. And I just want to say for a minute, Punisher Armory is literally just a collection of his guns. It's every now and then they would just do an updated collection of his weapons and sell it. As yeah, a book. I mean, we're going to get into this, but like, think about the people that are into this person and this type of book and like the era that we're talking about right now, like the proto Giuliani, New York, like it just, this all makes so much sense to me. At first, when you sent me this list, I was like, what the fuck? How is this all happening? And then as I really started to ease into it in the first few issues of volume two, you really start to understand like who the people are that are reading this. Well, the people that were reading this wanted more, more and more because right. there was a line of Punisher specials on top of that. Punisher summer special, Punisher back to school special. I don't even know what to fucking say about that. And Punisher holiday special running four issues, three issues and three issues respectively from somewhere in 1991 to somewhere around 1995. So at that point, Punisher mania seems to have fucking faded or something. But there's this weird period of time where it really, you know, we talk about how in many cases, characters had fewer appearances early on because comics expanded exponentially later on with numbers of releases and availability. Punisher is the opposite. Punisher actually has dramatically fewer appearances later on. Now, things got real tough for Punisher, specifically when it got tough for everybody around Marvel Edge. Marvel Edge was a bad time, ladies and gentlemen. They even tried to make Daredevil gritty. It was, you know, a very weird post-fall from Grace Place. And I find myself really fascinated to talk about Punisher Purgatory and Wolverine Punisher Revelation. So I don't know if you're aware of this, TK, but this is a specific eight issues of Punisher written by Christopher Golden, where Punisher kills himself, goes to Purgatory, is told you can go back as an angel of God with like vengeance bullets and just go shoot up the world, reclaiming bad guys for heaven. And this really was a thing that they tried to do from November of 1998 to September of 1999. And like Jimmy Palmiotti was the inker. I was vaguely aware of the existence of this, but I never chose to engage with it for the sake of my brain. Uh, my dad bought everything like as a kid, really. So my dad grew up in an era where comics were 15 cents. So he just sort of bought the line. Right. And then my dad just sort of kept doing that when he, when I was a kid, my dad bought the comics for himself. And so like I would steal them. <laughs> and so I read everything. And this is something that I remember even as a kid being like, this is fucking weird. This is the Punisher, you know, but following that, everybody thought it was weird. And we got Garth Ennis's masterwork on the character. Welcome back, Frank, which ran 12 issues uninterrupted from April 2000 to March 2001, which was followed by a successful run on Punisher Volume 6, 37 issues from August of 2001 to February of 2004. But I do want to point out that there is a fill-in arc or two in here, right? That's of note. This would ultimately kind of get a throwback in February of 2009 uh, through March of 2009 when the team would reunite for Punisher Warzone because from March 2004 through sometime in 2009, Garth Ennis was responsible for what is probably his best known superhero work ever, Punisher Max. It's sort of like what if Punisher aged in real time and everything was really, really sad. And it's pretty good. Subsequent writers did include Jason Aaron, who, you know, very much uh, someone we're going to be talking about today. So do you have any relationship with Punisher Max at all? I don't really have 
any relationship with the Max line as a whole, except sort of archaeologically. Like, none of it was stuff that I was into at the time that it was being published, but I've gone back to read it for the purpose of sort of better understanding the time. But that has never extended to Punisher, who I don't wish to understand. I can really get that. And I'm, I'm going to be honest. At this point, I sort of mostly check out on Punisher. So I do want to point out a couple of runs from during the time of Punisher Max on. Matt Fraction would come in and do Punisher War Journal for 26 issues by calling it Punisher War Journal. It was a way to avoid, you know, Punisher Max, which was occasionally still just called Punisher. I also need to say the Greg Rucka run, which introduced the brilliant, essentially female Punisher, Rachel Cole Alves, who is like, I try, like, it's hard to talk about how incredible that whole run is. And the intersection with Omega Drive for Daredevil is just like one of those pinnacle moments of storytelling that it's just, it really was bringing two characters who so dynamically create a holistic view of a specific corner, like bringing them together the way that Mark Wade did with Greg Rucka in Omega Drive was a flawless execution of two simultaneous ideas that were running beautifully parallel. There had also been a stunning Daredevil issue of Punisher a few issues earlier where we sort of saw their fighting style to get us ready for the Omega Drive crossover, which was spectacular. I can't stop saying how good it was. It also got a follow-up in the form of Punisher Warzone 1 through 5, which allowed Rucka to finish out some storylines. From there, the Punisher would disappear for about a year. Uh, but ultimately, the other run I really want to point out is I am and always will be a really big Steve Dillon fanboy. And uh, his run with Becky Cloonan was pretty cool. And I'm sad forever. So that's pretty much Punisher by the volume. That is a lot of Punisher. And I don't know how much character growth we get out of all of that. No, they like to go right back on it, like immediately. And that's one of the reasons I think that the Ghost Rider line is such a dynamically different experience. I want to point out that there have been many, many, many Ghost Riders and many, many, many Spirits of Vengeance. I'm going to kind of single out just a few here. The ones I'm going to point out are probably the best known Johnny Blaze, the unforgettable Daniel Ketch, who I was shocked to find out wasn't just Johnny Blaze when I was a kid, like legitimately. I'm going to mention Vengeance, Michael Badalino, who isn't exactly a Ghost Rider, but kind of, you know. And then we're also going to take a look at Alejandra Jones, who kind of got demoted from Ghost Rider, kind of, sort of, into just being a spirit of vengeance. We're going to take a look at Robbie Reyes and Kushala. But I want to point out that for all we're talking about this and how Ghost Rider got a new number one and how there's so many Ghost Riders, yeah, there was not a single comic book published in the year 2013 that featured a Ghost Rider. And I mean, that's not really surprising when you think about kind of Ghost Rider stuff. More recently, they just up and canceled a Ghost Rider book in the middle of a storyline. You know, I read the King in Black one shot that followed the series and I read that series and I find myself feeling like Ed Brisson got really disserviced there. Oh, 100%. There yeah, there was clearly a thought and uh, an idea in place. And I feel like he was trying to bring the Ghost 
ghostwriters somewhere new? You know, for so many years, we've defaulted back to Johnny Blaze, who first appeared in August in 1972 in the pages of Marvel Spotlight number five. He was immediately so popular that by September of 1973, a year later, he had ghostwriter number one. I'll be honest, my relationship with ghostwriter for many years was he's Karen Page's other love interest. So I don't always have the most, you know, relationship with this character. But I do think it's of note that he is the one that Marvel likes to come back to over and over again. Even when they introduce a new ghostwriter, it usually involves Johnny showing up shortly thereafter. Well, it's an interesting thing that they've been able to do over the years where because they keep returning to him, but then expanding things out, they have this incredibly solid base of mythology that starts with him and revolves around him to which you add on other characters and other settings and new powers and new drives for vengeance, et cetera, et cetera. And when you look at it as a whole, especially in the Brisson series, in the storylines in Aaron's Avengers, there's actually a lot to mine there. And there are a lot of interesting characters and they're varied in their motivations and their backgrounds and everything. There's a lot of potential in Ghost Rider. And even though Johnny Blaze himself, to me, isn't the most compelling of those people, the way that he acts as an anchoring point for Ghost Rider mythology I think is actually really cool because it sort of allows him to become like a somewhere between an Xavier and a Batman almost I know you know one of the big central things of every Johnny Blaze story is I don't know what I'm doing I don't understand my powers I don't understand my significance who am I but he does really seem to want to help the other ghostwriters as much as he can and that's something I appreciate especially because even early on the earliest stories involving Daniel Ketch as Ghost Rider, who first debuted in the pages of Ghost Rider Volume 3, Number 1. I want to point out that Ghost Rider, Johnny Blaze, had two volumes of the title, and then this is the third volume. He's also the third Ghost Rider. There's another Ghost Rider, but he's like a Western character. He's like the Ghost Rider, and like dum da dum da dum da dum da dum kind of rider, you know? So that was a Horse, not Barracuda, because I now realize that sounded a lot like I was just singing Barracuda. So many people don't realize that Daniel Ketch or Danny Ketch is a different character, but they sure will now that he has this amazing new identity of Death Rider and he's got this wicked new look and looks nothing like a Ghost Rider. He's pretty unfucking forgettable now. Yeah, has that come up more recently than than the sort of end of the most recent volume of Ghost Rider? Like, has he been in anything else? In 2021, he was in the King in Black Ghost Rider special where okay. they kind of finish out the storyline from Brisbane story. It's written by Brisson, but it is definitely very concerned with King and Black. Mephisto and Blackheart do play a large role, and the Ghost Riders do work together, and it does feel like a summation of his run, but at the same time, because it is somewhat removed, and there's a sense of crossover intrusion, it does make it a little difficult to connect clearly. Right, that makes sense. Now, Michael Badalino is a character better known as Vengeance, Occasionally, he fills in for Ghost Rider. Sometimes he's the bad guy. He's pretty recognizable as looking super HGH'd out and having a purple flaming skull and a bike that says I'm trying too hard. So he appeared less than a hundred times altogether after being introduced in the pages of Ghost Rider 22 in January of 1992. Now, the character would go on to appear up through as recently as Ghost Rider 
Return of Vengeance in 2020, written by Howard Mackey with art by Javier Salteres. So, you know, they're still working with the character, even if he maybe hasn't been as successful as some of the others. Of course, I am most interested in the three most recent Ghost Riders, and I think for many people, Alejandra Jones, Robbie Reyes, and Kushala are kind of where the money's at right now. Yeah, I mean, Kushala really is, sorry for this pun, the dark horse of this particular corner of the Marvel Universe. What an incredibly interesting character that kind of came out of nowhere, brings together two very related parts of the Marvel Universe, and is just a fascinating, powerful character to watch. I couldn't agree more. I think she is a really, we've covered her extensively on this show. We talk about her pretty much every time she appears. We're really big fans. And I feel as though, in many ways, her her sort of destiny was laid out by the success or the lack thereof initially of Alejandra Jones and then the actual success of Robbie Reyes. Alejandra Jones appears in Ghost Rider number one, spinning out of the events of Fear Itself. She would have ultimately 18 total appearances over the next 10 years. And she's part of something that I kept thinking I made up because every time I asked people about it, they were like, I have no idea what you're talking about. There was really a crossover that Marvel did where every issue was a point one. And so it's Venom number 13, which is actually my Venom. It's inexplicably flashed Thompson with Red Hulk, Laura as Wolverine, and Alejandra as Ghost Rider. And it's sort of like the new Fantastic Four. It's called Circle of Four. It starts with Venom number 13 from April 2012. And then it goes to Venom 13.1, Venom 13.2, Venom 13.3, and Venom 13.4. And it is also of note that the character that each issue focuses on is the kind of credit for the issue. So the Hulk issue, 13.3, has Jeff Parker and Julian Tedesco. The Venom issue 13.1 has Rob Williams and Lee Garbett. So it's really she's like not even truly a big deal in several of her only 18 appearances. And what year was this happening in? <laughs> you sound so tired. <laughs> it happened in 2012. It's just so funny because you you get these characters where ostensibly there should be a relatively simple concept to work with. And even if you, you know, Ghost Rider is a great example. Even if you expand out the universe that exists around the original character, you add more people that are Ghost Riders, you complexify like hell and its relationship to magic and all that stuff. It eventually, you know, and it's usually somewhere in the late 90s up to like some like 2013, 2015 somewhere in there it's going to take a real hard right into unnecessarily complicated and too many characters and it gets really difficult to factor in what do i actually need to care about what's actually good and interesting and what do i now need to know just on the off chance that some other writer decides to pick up that random thread that somebody else put down when they were just trying to make something stick you know and i love what you're talking about because something that you and i have both discussed a few times lately is kind of the trajectory of how comics works where something gets planted and you know we're like oh wow I hope this comes due and what we don't realize is because comics work you know a year or two in advance sometimes there's sort of a a realization that once this product is already hitting the shelves they already are working on its replacement and people have to keep on a happy face while they're like doing these interviews so as they're saying Alejandra Jones is the next big thing they're already hard at work on Robbie Reyes the ghost writer that appears in all new 
new ghostwriter in May 2014, who is, of course, like the love of my life, who by virtue of his year, right? So if you kind of did a ratio of first appearance to now, Robbie Reyes has like month for month of publication, significantly more appearances than any other ghostwriter. Having only been around since May of 2014, Robbie Reyes has 111 appearances, whereas the next ghostwriter to, you know, we would think of Johnny Blaze since 1972 has only amassed 368. Yeah, so that's insane. That's, that's crazy, crazy. That's, that's, my boy is fucking racking it up and killing it. And like, you know, I love Robbie. It is of note that a good portion of his success does lie in the fact that he has been so incredibly tied to Jason Aaron's Avengers and now Avengers Forever, which, you know, by virtue of where he sits in Aaron's Avengers and what we know Avengers, X-Men, Eternals to be, I feel like Robbie has to play a significant role one way or another. Well, and I do think the other thing, although this I don't think was a huge contributor to the practicality of his popularity, his appearance on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of did go to show that this was a character that was much more MCU ready than any of the previous ghostwriters and I do think that that's something that will get built on again in the future and actually something that I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, I agree, especially because they've worked so hard to make Robbie Reyes the multiverse ghostwriter in the comics now. I think we're definitely going to see some reaction there. And he just, his whole thing looks great on screen. Like the car is a little more interesting than the motorcycle, him being kind of a younger guy and not like a bitter white man. Like he really does work. Yeah, he's a super hottie. And like, I am admittedly just a really big Robbie Reyes fan in general. And I know that that does color my perception, but that's maybe where I think by tracing that there was a new ghostwriter introduced in 2011 and then a new ghostwriter introduced in 2014, and then Kushala introduced in 2016. And don't get me wrong, I don't think anybody expected her to be a breakout hit the way she was. But it's definitely led to kind of a, a high renaissance for ghostwriters. And we're seeing ghostwriter novels being published. So there's a lot happening for these characters. And I'm so excited for the future of Robbie Reyes as well. And that's probably why I was so shocked by the stark change in direction that these stories represented, not just for ghostwriter, but also the stark change in direction for Punisher. And that brings us to Ghost Rider number one by Benjamin Percy and Corey Smith with colors by Brian Valencia and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. We're also going to be taking a look at Punisher number one, book one, chapter one, The Blessings of War by Jason Aaron, Jesus Seis, and Paul Azaceta with colors by Dave Stewart and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. So, okay, the big thing I'm stuck on here is this seems like jumping back in time for Ghost Rider, but trying to sidestep the history of Punisher. Now, I think it worked better for Punisher than it worked for Ghost Rider, but I would love to get your take on this sort of basic idea of where these characters sit in their debut number one. So, I think that your assessment is correct. I think for Punisher, one of the things that we have to kind of keep in mind and acknowledge and also not really get too deep into is the larger cultural context of the symbolism of Punisher, this idea of sort of libertarian vigilance 
vigilante justice and the adoption of the Punisher symbol by white supremacists. It is a good time to distance Frank Castle and the story of the Punisher from this idea that everyday people should be arming themselves and taking justice into their own hands, which is the most interesting part about the interplay of Punisher with other superheroes and comic books because they're all doing that, but there's this idea that Frank Castle takes it too far, and now we're seeing this symbol kind of taking it too far in the context of how it's used in the real world. So to completely separate him from this idea that like he is the hard-boiled vigilante that any of us could be, and our world is corrupt, and we should be like Frank Castle, and move him into the world of death and resurrection obsessed mystical ninjas is a very smart way to keep him doing the things that would not be plausible for the character to give up, which is essentially murder of those that he feels are doing wrong. But to put it in a context where you're like, you can't relate to this person, like you don't have a castle in the unknown forests and a troop of death-defying ninjas and magic at your disposal. This has now become a completely separate thing that you can enjoy the story of and engage with, but you can no longer really see yourself reflected in. And I think it was important to move Frank Castle into that kind of zone. You know what I mean? I agree completely. You know, I I talk about it a lot in my journey to realizing I just am Deadpool. Like, it took me a really long time because I just so resented him. I think about the implicit sexual torture of Copycat, uh, of real Domino, while asking Copycat to sleep with Cable. Like, it just, ooh, so much of early Deadpool makes my skin yeah. crawl. But, like, man, fucking love Wade. <laughs> yeah, really, you know, moving him away from that, making him really goofy, like, the people who write his breaking the fourth wall the best and like sort of tie that to an idea of how he views his reality and the fact that he is in many ways a broken person giving him a good heart at time you know he he is a fantastic character to move away from his original design and intentions and to just say we're not going to really push some kind of reckoning because i don't think we could ever get there and give everybody involved justice in a way that was satisfying for readers. I think it's the same thing with Frank Castle. There is no way to have this really deep accounting for everything that he's done where somebody who experiences a real world version of it and has a problem with seeing it presented in fiction is going to read it and say, you know, Frank has made his amends. I now like this character. Some ways you just kind of got to move them away from that and into something that is so clearly fictional and so not identifiable in the real world that it allows the character to do new things without the baggage of suspect motivations in writing and like it's so important that the character be snatched back like not just oh stop publishing punisher because then you're just going to see everybody else do punisher you know what i mean like snatch him back and take him away and that's that's really right. the goal. And, and people who want him to be a symbol will always be able to take the old stuff and use that. But if there is a lot of new stuff that is very different, that is always going to dilute whatever metaphor any one particular group wants a certain character to be about. So, you know, I purposely brought up that this isn't the first time that Frank Castle has been made mystical and how that goes over is going to be really interesting. But while I read Ghost Rider number one, my biggest takeaway was, man, there's not a lot of ghost in 
in this. And it felt very much born of the introspective psychological school of comics that demands that characters evolve through self-exploration, not just through punch-punch. And I would love to know what you think about sort of demystifying Ghost Rider in sort of a trade-off to the way Punisher did the same thing, but in reverse. I mean, part of me is really here for it. I always think it is interesting to do deep psychological dives into characters, particularly ones that maybe have a need of bringing them into the present in terms of our understanding and presentation of those characters. I guess my thing here is Johnny Blaze is a tough character for me to care about as the central focus of a Ghost Rider story now that I have met Robbie Reyes and Kushala. I loved the idea of him as, I think you mentioned as like a Professor Xavier or a Batman figure. I like the idea of him as somebody who is really high up on the chain, so high up that we don't actually need to see his stories. He can pop in and be like, hey, I already have all the experience. I'm not doing self-discovery adventures anymore. I show up and remind you of how it's done. I show up and remind you of what happens when you attain a true power in our line of work. Robbie, you take the wheel. You know, Kushala, show up and show us something interesting. That was what I was more hoping for when I found out that this book was being announced because I don't read solicits. I don't want to know what's going to happen until I open the page. So I was kind of hoping it was going to be about some of these other characters who, to me, are more compelling, are younger, and so it's more believable that they need to have this kind of exploration. And, you know, in general, I think have just been better served in this corner of the universe. I'm not against this story in and of itself. It's it's well written. You know, it's, it could be a very interesting exploration of where Johnny Blaze is at right now and where he could go. But I do think, again, it's kind of that repeating of like, I don't know what this power is. I don't know what to do with it. And I feel like he ought to be beyond that by now. And I very, very much see what you're talking about, because I think that's part of the problem with the cyclical nature of always coming back to that main character, right? That thing where we said earlier, oh, that's one of the great things about Johnny Blaze. It's great for the Ghost Rider franchise. It might not be great for Johnny. And I think that shines through here a little bit more than other places. Now, I want to point out something that led us to this Punisher coverage, which was our coverage of Electra, the woman without fear. But what that's kind of led to was, for me, maybe a little bit an expectation that Akka would appear in the pages of Punisher, and she didn't. But what I got instead was still a very worthwhile read. It wasn't even that it was light on plot. It's that it was very heavy on performative setup. And for that Punisher two-page splash and the straight-up beefcake nudity at the end, he's not muscular to be powerful there. He's muscular to be romantic and supple. Like, worth it. (laughs) Yeah, really new things for the Punisher. And again, that's kind of what the character needs at this point to get people to care about him that are not, you know, co-opting his symbols for white supremacy. And as one of the reasons I love that the symbol is red at the bottom of the final page before you take a look at the cover of the next page where you can see it's his original symbol fucking beaten to shit in the cover for the next issue. And this whole story is here to tell us about how Frank as the, I don't know, angel of death for the hand. I don't I don't even understand what role he's playing exactly. I know that Elektra is like, oh no, me and Matt are back into some kind of destiny thing. And you know, Elektra and Punisher have history and Punisher and Matt have history. And you know, fuck, even Punisher and Bullseye have history. Punisher and Fisk have history. So this guy fits this universe corner. He was also, of course, in Marvel's Netflix universe that is now Marvel 
Marvel's Disney Plus universe. And it just makes a lot of sense that they would hope that we kind of don't notice that they're just slipping him in as Dark Daredevil. Well, yeah. And I think if they do it right, we kind of won't notice. If they manage to pull the elements of the hand that are tied to these other characters that we've been wondering about for a little while now and, you know, have been running pretty parallel to this development for Punisher, I'm inclined to just sort of go with what they're doing. I think if I get 12 pages into a Punisher as the leader of the hand story and Daredevil, Elektra, and Akka only make like really minor appearances or are just referenced or something like that, it's gonna be a bit of a disappointment or it better be the lead in to like the biggest crossover like change of status quo you've seen in the hand Daredevil corner of the Marvel Universe in a very long time. I'm with all of that perspective because that's the danger of Punisher being such a solitary character. So few characters that have names even spoke in this issue. And that's kind of including Frank. Frank didn't have a whole lot to fucking say this issue either. Yeah. Frank doesn't say a whole lot in general. So I am very interested to see where this is going to go. I'm excited to see Frank evolve. I wouldn't mind seeing him a little more readily with swords instead of guns. Not that some violence is better than other violence, but we just maybe don't need the aesthetic of the gun anymore. And I really want to see more of his lower back. I think that it's pretty. No, you know, it's a really interesting thing when a guy like Jason Aaron, who has already made his mark on the Punisher a dozen times over, says, I still have more to say and I'm going to make the character go in a new direction. It is just very of note how light on discussable content in many ways this first issue is, but definitely heavy on discussable vibe. Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to put it. And I think it's a really safe choice as an author to start a book like this that's taking a character in a very different direction and connecting them to something you wouldn't normally think they were connected with. It's important not to give the reader details to nitpick and stuff to sit around saying like, was that actually something that Frank Castle would do? Would the hand really let the Punisher do that? Blah, 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 blah. Where was this person? But give a picture that you can just kind of like you're in a museum and you're just kind of taking it in and going from scene to scene understanding this is something I've never seen before. I'm not quite at the place where I have enough information to pick it apart, but I am at the place where I definitely want to know more. And you know, want to know more is something that I definitely feel about Ghost Rider number one as well. This issue made me realize that it's a disservice that Hellblazer ended with number 300 before Ben Percy had a chance to write into the original John Constantine Hellblazer numbering. This issue really gives him a lot of classic Vertigo Chop credit and shows a dexterity of understanding the nuance of creating an atmospheric horror comic for sure. If I felt anything was perhaps not what I was looking for it's maybe it's maybe the fact that I've just loved how wacky and weird Jason Aaron amongst others have pushed Ghost Rider and you know I still have that I still have Robbie Reyes running around the multiverse over in Avengers Forever I still have Kushala kicking ass all over wherever they have her pop up next so I think what I need to get used to is a dexterity of line for Ghost Rider this feels like a Ghost Rider line and this is like Ghost Rider classic there's also a lot of classic horror tropes 
trope here that I do appreciate. So it was exciting to see it all play out. I like that framework for thinking about this. And I do, I agree with you insofar as this was a good horror book with some really solid story, like horror story beats in it. It's not that I'm not into it. It, it is that I like those other characters more. I liked the Brisson Ghost Rider where Johnny Blaze was king of hell and like that new version of I don't know who I am I don't know how to deal with this power I'm just kind of stumbling through it I keep screwing up but this is where I'm at right now and I'm figuring it out I really did like that and I probably would have preferred to see him stay closer to that and then have you know Robbie and Kushala and maybe even Danny because Danny had some interesting beats in the Brisson Ghost Rider too be more the boots on the ground Ghost Rider there's still room for them to show up in this book you know we have no idea where it's going to go or how it's going to go starting with I'm Johnny Blaze I've got the crazy Kimberly from Melrose Place scar on my head and I have no idea what's going on and everybody's a demon definitely viable horror story but maybe not what would get me to be like I gotta read Ghost Rider from now on and I'm sure that the character set up here is one of the things that Ben Percy is banking on us sort of interacting with instead of worrying so much about how this is going to connect to a bigger picture of Ghost Rider we can kind of enjoy that this is a Ghost Rider classic tale I think what I'm experiencing is a parallel to something I've always kind of like called at and I'm like I'm seeing it and I'm like oh goddamn! I guess this is how people felt about X Factor when the all new X-Men had been around for 10 years this must be how people felt about the New Mutants when Gen X was around. You know, I I think what I'm experiencing here is my version is not the original. It's not the classic. It's not the standard. And I don't think I don't appreciate this. I think I want to experience what a classic Ghost Rider tale is like in a modern Ghost Rider world kind of so voraciously that I'm I'm a little itchy about taking it issue by issue. I kind of want to know where the story is going right away. (laughs) I think that's the perfect way to put it. Like, because yes, there's nothing about this that is bad. I love a classic story and with a lot of X-Men stuff because I have it all so totally internalized I can jump right into a classic X-Men story even if there are more modern characters that I prefer because of not having the same connection to classic Ghost Rider I'm experiencing the same thing I want to know how this connects to the the more current stuff because that's what both of these number ones offer a chance to give these characters a reset after some rocky publication histories now for my money anything that takes Punisher in a direction sort of less associated with wanton violence is it's tough because like that is what the hand is but I think what you said makes it so important it's such fictionalized violence their bodies turn to smoke and well it's not not, there's no justice it's for like the beast and there's some great plan that nobody ever knows what it is or understands yeah so I'm here for both of these I'm gonna ride the 13 issues of Punisher because that is what it is confirmed to be which makes me think it must tie into something Zdarsky's doing over in Daredevil that there's like a connective idea that this is definitely 13 issues it's not going to break up anywhere you know like that okay I'm in I'm in and then I believe Ghost Rider is slated to be five so am I here for 18 issues of both of these titles probably a little bit more Punisher than Ghost Rider right now but the fact that Ghost Rider is likely a shorter run has me a little more like oh I can definitely do five issues of that for sure Punisher I might by the end of 13 kind of like wrap up a 10 yeah I think I'm in the same place and it's really going to depend on who else shows up, how they show up, and how 
we tie things into a lot of the very interesting stuff that's been woven around these characters and the corners of the universe they inhabit.